Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like Good morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday, the 27th of June, 2023. And because I am a Florida Gator, I must in all humility congratulate the LSU Tigers for their victory in the College World Series. Much to my disappointment and chagrin. Uh, But Louisiana is facing some outrageously high nasty temperatures today. So I don't know. I, I take some solace in that. Paul, what did you tell me the uh, heat index was going to be in New Orleans today? What I saw was like about 113. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you that in the South, 113, it's not like out in the Southwest where 113 is horrible and horrendous, but like some kind of bearable dry heat. 113 in the Southeastern United States is is such wet heat. I I just, it's even hard to describe. It's just hard to describe. I... This is probably more information than people ever wanted to know, but I planted flowers on Sunday afternoon and um, because it was, you know, it's like time for the pansies to come out, bless their hearts, that that was it. Their their time was done. And so, you know, I was planting marigolds and impatience and things in our little front um, flower bed and between the driveway and the front of the house. <clears throat> and it was so hot and it was so humid. The, the, here's the part, Paul, that you're just going to be like, okay, okay. So do we need? But we did we? But it's, okay, so I picked up, I picked up the pile of laundry this morning, and I put it in the washing machine, and those clothes from Sunday, which nastily were at the bottom of the pile, they were still wet and Ew. they were still warm. Like I, I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> I don't either. It's so hot and nasty. Like it's it's like it's like hot nasty. I don't know. Is hasty a word? Because nasty and hot together. The word hasty. I think it should be it's a word. There you go. Just, do, go, just go with it. Yeah, let's jump into the Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which will clearly be more edifying. <sighs> Good morning, everyone, by the way. Uh, Mark chapter, thir- chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. This passage of Scripture um, is best read in the context of the entirety of Mark chapter 13, which I highly commend to your reading today. Um, And so as you hear these verses of Scripture, just recognize there is a larger context of Jesus' teaching on what happens at the end of time. What, when are the end of days? How are we living at the end of the age or the end of days? Um, What does that all mean? So that's the context of these verses. Jesus is saying here, nobody knows when that day or hour will come. What day or hour is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the day and hour when he is going to return, um, when time is going to find its fulfillment, uh, when he, uh, the Son of God, uh, returns, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, to judge the living and the dead. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. Nobody knows when that day or hour will come, Jesus says, not the angels in heaven, 
not not even me, not the son. Only the father knows. So watch out, stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming. So do you hear that as like joyful, hopeful anticipation that Jesus is coming again? Or does that produce some feeling of dread in you? Some fear and dread. There um, are signs all the time, right, of the maturation of <laughs> uh, of time and the things that Jesus says, these are going to be the signs of the ends of, of days. And yet we we know we're always living in them. Like we've been living in them since Jesus ascended into heaven. We've been living in this period of time where the end is near. And maybe you, like me, have somebody in your town who actually stands on a street corner um, with a giant sign that says, repent, the end is near. Um, and every day I see that guy on that corner. Um, and and he, he's seeking to share the truth. I think there are some people who see him as like silly and fanciful. But that proclamation is true. Repent. The, the end is near. So how do we respond to the reality that we are living in the end times and that every day is absolutely one day closer to the day that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead? That, that is the walk-off line of the Apostles' Creed, is it not? Christians have been declaring what we believe using the Apostles' Creed since the second century A.D. So that's a lot of centuries now. We are, uh, it's 2023, so we're in the 21st century. So for 19 centuries at least, we've been declaring using the Apostles' Creed that we believe that the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We've been saying it and saying it and saying it, but do we actually believe it? Well, today's verse is about that, and it appears in an entire chapter where Jesus is talking about that. And so if you haven't spent any time lately considering the fact that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, spend some time today in Mark chapter 13. That's the context of our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We are going to spend a few minutes together coming up, surveying a few of the signs of the times in which we live. As you look around the culture, what are the signs of the times? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Hearing that um, story and that testimony about forgiveness... I'm reminded that tomorrow is our day of forgiveness here at Faith Radio. We've got a lot of resources posted at MyFaithRadio.com. We also have a process that we'd invite you to walk with us in, in terms of a season of forgiveness. And the way that you participate in that and engage in that is by texting the word forgive. You text the word forgive to 877-933-2484 and via a series of text messages over the next few weeks, um, we're going to walk with you in, in forgiveness. And maybe there is someone in your life you have been really challenged to forgive, like the testimony of the friend we just heard from um, whose mother was killed by a drunk driver when she was seven years old. 
Um, and she lived with unforgiveness for a long, long time. She became a believer three years ago. And I, I like the way that she phrases it. You know, I was working on forgiveness. Are you working on forgiveness? I think we're, um, as Christians, always working to live into uh, the the claim that we make in the Lord's Prayer, the um, the appeal that we make in the Lord's Prayer that God would forgive us as what? As we have forgiven others. I don't know about you, but I actually want God to forgive me uh, with a much greater magnitude and frequency than I tend to forgive others. And so I need to work on forgiveness. And that's what we're doing in the day of forgiveness tomorrow. So um, join us, text the word forgive to 877-933-2484. I know that you know this, but when we talk about the signs of the times, we talk about living um, with an awareness of what is happening in the world and how we as believers ought to be able to read the signs of the times in which we live, like that is the process of discernment in every generation to be able to read the signs of the times. And, and so, you know, I I guess as Christians, like it's not hard to look around during the month of June in the United States of America and read the signs of the times related to pride month. And so I'm not going to harp on this. I'm simply going to point to it and say, (laughs) that is a sign of the times. And if you need a specific headline related to Pride Month, there are a couple of them today that I would um, draw your attention to. Um, one of them is related to uh, Starbucks. Um, there, there is a, uh, I mean, if you try to drop by uh, a Starbucks, <clears throat> you might find yourself uh, challenged because they're, uh, they're striking across the country. Why? Well, because they're upset that Pride Month is just a month. They don't want the pride paraphernalia to be taken down at the end of June. Um, They want to see the company they work for um, aligned with and advocating for and promoting um, the LGBTQ AI plus agenda on and on and on and on and on. They don't want Pride Month to just be a month. They want it to be the spirit of the age in which we live. So that's what's going on in terms of why you might, your Starbucks might be closed today. On Sunday, Seattle um, held one of a series of pride parades in that city. This one happened to have been advertised for all ages. This was on Sunday. Now, where would you prefer that people be on Sunday? I would prefer that they be in church, but they're not in church. They're um, out on the street in Seattle attending a for all ages pride parade. Well, this particular for all ages pride parade featured more than a dozen adult men who were completely naked, riding their bicycles, and then periodically stopping to stand and wave to the crowd, which was comprised of families with children because it was the all-ages pride parade. This, my friends, is a sign of the times in which we live. Darkness and depravity are real. And like generations before us, the generation in which we now live has literally forgotten how to blush. We don't even know what we should be ashamed of anymore. Um, and that doesn't mean that we, sh- we stop shining as a light in the darkness. We, we take note. We observe. We say, this is happening. We pray. We ask God to resist pouring out his wrath that we might have a little more time to go as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom, that we might have a little more time to go as agents of grace, that we might have a little more time to go as ministers of reconciliation, 
as co-missionaries with Christ, as gospel people, to share the good news that there is a man named Jesus and to share that he came and why he came and to share that he's coming again. Um, we don't run away from the signs of the times in which we live. We acknowledge them. We prepare ourselves to not only speak with those who are engaged in behaviors that we know are contrary to God's best for human flourishing. Um, And we get close enough to the fire that some might be saved. So we're going to, we're going to talk about things happening in the culture and, and we're going to go into a courtroom um, here in just a moment and talk about, um, an exchange that took place between a person who clearly did wrong, taking up a, a, a weapon and acting violently toward other people that resulted in um, in their deaths, and the place that he chose to do that uh, targeted a specific group of people. Um, but the language used in his sentencing is also illustrative of the unforgiveness and dehumanization and even spiritual damnation in our culture today. So we're going to talk, we're going to continue to talk about confusion, the confusion that is happening in our culture so that we can read the signs of the times and we can prepare ourselves as Christians to pray and speak and live in the midst of it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge and this is Faith Radio. The Bible is valuable and reading and studying the Bible can transform your life. Hi, I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together podcast. Several times a year, we release a new Reading the Bible Together study. We've studied Luke, Daniel, Advent, Lent, and so many more. You can access all of our studies for free by going to the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. In addition to the studies, we also have the accompanying podcast. You can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. You can study on your own, or if your small group or Bible study is looking for what to study next, check out the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. In Colorado Springs, um, yesterday, a defendant stood trial. Uh, He is responsible for the deaths of five other people at a nightclub in 2022. That nightclub is called Q. The people who attended that nightclub um, describe it as a sanctuary. It's their place of belonging. It's where they felt free to be themselves. Um, The man responsible for their deaths was sentenced yesterday. Uh, and after pleading guilty to five counts of murder and 46 counts of attempted murder. Um, the language used by the members of the families of, of the dead and, um, and their friends, so those people who were given an opportunity to testify in court at the sentencing hearing, said things like, this is not a human, it is a monster, which let's just pause there. Um, the criminal justice system in the United States of America is designed for human beings. And if a person were, were judged to not be a person, they could not legally stand trial in America. And so 
if you don't judge this individual to be a person, you cannot actually um, imagine that justice could be brought to bear upon them. So, like, worldview is communicated uh, in the language that we use, and our worldview related to one another, no matter the evil that someone does, it's still a person doing it. And we don't battle against flesh and blood, um, but against the powers and the principalities, uh, you know, of the of the dark generation. But the person is still a person. This person is still a person. He bears responsibility for what he has done. And the only way that you can hold a person responsible is to view them as a person. So I just want to pause there for a moment. Because there's a lot of confusion um, in articulated in these victim statements, and so I, I I'm trying to point that out so that we can think through how we think about things. We're trying to think about how we think about what's going on in the world, and so I'm just using these um, uh, these victim testimonies in this court of law yesterday to uh, illustrate some of these points. So this particular individual said, this thing sitting in the courtroom is not a human, it's a monster. And then she went on to say in her, uh, in her t- that the devil awaits, awaits you with open arms. So who exactly does this person think the devil awaits? I mean, first of all, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a supernatural spiritual worldview operating here. Um, if there are people, which she acknowledges, and there are monsters, which she acknowledges, and there's a devil, and the devil is waiting um, so there is an individual right there with a tremendously wounded spirit, and I recognize that. Her boyfriend is one of the people who died at the Q Club um, on that particular night in 2022. Um, but the thing that she is saying about this other individual um, illustrates, illuminates her own worldview and the confusion of it. This same individual and others uh, went on to say um, that they would never forgive this person. Um, You hurt us in ways from which we will never recover, um, and we will never forgive you. I want you to know that I will never forgive you. These are some of the things that were said um, in, in the courtroom yesterday after this individual pled guilty. And I want to say that that, if you live like that, you're going to live in bondage forever to the action of that individual. To, to live in a, in a spirit of unforgiveness gives all the power to the person who, in this case, d- did the most evil of deeds. And so instead, I would like to direct you to the victim testimonies um, following the equally horrific uh, massacre of individuals at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. Chris Singleton has been on this show, and in his victim testimony, um, he talked about his mom. Um, And he has since forth, or or since then, talked about forgiveness and the role of forgiveness. Um, Every single one of those families, or a member of each of those families, said to the defendant in this case, who did equally monstrous things as the person in Colorado, um, every single individual said to him, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your salvation. I'm praying that, you know, you you don't meet the devil in the end. 
and I forgive you. And they've been set free. They, that Dylan Roof no longer has the power over them and their lives and their families in the same way that this individual in Colorado will forever have power and influence in the lives of the families of those um, slain and wounded at Q. Why is that? Because they're harboring unforgiveness. And so I want to lift this up today, because if you're harboring unforgiveness, um, it's no way to live. And we're going to spend our day together tomorrow talking about forgiveness and how we receive it and how we give it and why we need it and what it does to us and what it can do through us for others. So if you haven't already signed up um, with us via the text line to engage with us in this season of forgiveness, which we're going to focus on as a day of forgiveness tomorrow here at Faith Radio, please do so. Text the word FORGIVE to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. Jeff Christofferson um, serves in Canada, uh, and he has written a book that is, without question, my my favorite novel of the year. Uh, and I know you say the year's only half over. Maybe you'll have another favorite novel by the end of the year. Maybe, maybe, or maybe I'll just keep reading this one over and over and over again. Um, so it's entitled Once You See, and it's a novel approach to the challenge of being the church today. So, you know, if you look around and you say, you know, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing uh, stories about empty churches in Europe being repurposed for all kinds of wacky things, and I, I see empty pews in the church where I attend, or I feel an emptiness as I attend the church I attend. I feel like, um, wow, there was a lot going on in the Acts you know, in the church in the days of the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles, the Book of Acts— you know, why isn't, why isn't church like that today? Like, what, what's going on? Well, that's what this novel actually features and addresses. So uh, Jeff is going to return today, and we're going to talk with him about um, the second challenge that is faced by the church in the West today. Um, and to prepare us for that conversation, I'd like to do a little word association with you. So, I mean, you know, when you hear the word coffee, I'd like you to think of Carmen, like, right? So there you go. So word association, that's what we're doing. Word association. When I say the word church, what comes to mind? A building, a body, a bride, what comes to mind when I say the word church? Or maybe what feeling comes to mind when I say the word church? How about the word minister? What, when I say the word minister, what comes to mind? First of all, do you hear it as a noun or a verb? Like, that's the first question. Do you hear the word minister as a noun or a verb? And if you hear it as a noun, do you hear it as a noun like they use it uh, in, in the United Kingdom? I mean, I, it always just strikes me that they have things like the minister of loneliness. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> just, what? Okay, the minister of education. Okay, so when you hear the word minister, what comes to mind? Or who comes to mind? What about church leaders or church leadership team? What comes to mind when you hear those words? 
What comes to mind when I say the word missionary? Now, who exactly do you think is responsible for carrying out the Great Commission that Jesus gives to the church when he says to all of his disciples to go and make disciples? So, word association, church, minister, church leaders, church leadership team, missionary, Great Commission, disciple-making. Who or what comes to mind? Jeff Christofferson is going to join us next. We're going to talk again about Once You See. We're going to focus in today on temptation number two, um, which is professionalism. And we do have audio copies of Once You See to give away today. So you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. I'll be right back with Jeff Christofferson right after, uh, I think we're going to do the news and then we'll be right back. Jeff Christofferson is back. He is, among other things, the author of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel approach to the conversation. It is a novel. We have one listener who just texted in, Jeff, that they only have 20, uh, 24 pages left in the book. So, wow. I mean, you know, I, 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 could not have cl- I could not have closed it with 24 pages left. I'm just going ahead and telling you that. Uh, and so um, thank you again for joining us. It's my honor. Thanks so much, Carmen. It's great to be with you again. So we have um, we we're going to take this part piece by piece and part by part, and we have um, we've talked about uh, the 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 book in its you know comprehensive scope, and then we've been moving into one by one these seven temptations of the Western Church. So we've talked about um, philosophicalism, which I always have to practice saying. Today's is a little bit easier, professionalism. And when we think about professionalism, I think we can think about it in, um, in all kinds of areas of life. We've professionalized many things. Um, and I, I like the way that you frame this. Like, do I think about um, ministry as something that is done by professionals, by a gifted pastoral team or a church leadership team, that it's something that's done by those people that we pay to do those things, or... Do I think about it from a kingdom perspective? So can you give us the kingdom corrective on this temptation to professionalize the ministry? Yeah, well, great, Carmen. The um, thing, this this one really gets at the heart of the negative trajectory that the Western church is in. And, um, and this is not the thinking that's going on in the global church, and it's not the thinking that is going that has that has been a part of our history, actually. But um, but it it has been the thinking of our our more recent history since the sort of the dawn of the church growth movement, and the kingdom corrective is, is the fact that the gospel is actually every disciple's calling. It's it's not something just for a chosen few, and uh, and because of of this, I mean, a church that is is seeking to actually be on. Uh, a different trajectory will seek to multiply Jesus' disciple by developing and dis- deploying the body of Christ anywhere in infinitely reproducible co-vocational mission force. And uh, so we see a church that is looking differently is seeing um, their pastors as their primary assignment is equippers as and multipliers of Jesus' disciple-making insurgency. It's not 
it's not the ones that entertain the saints and um or even just teach the saints and so it's a it's an entirely different uh trajectory and it's an entirely different motivation of what pastors do so uh like any good new idea <clears throat> it threatens somebody's view of themselves and what they're doing so my guess is that there are some who have read Once You See um, or started to examine this particular aspect or component of it, and they've become defensive on either I, side, I, on on the <laughs> sort of, I'm a pastor, this is my job, um, and I don't want all of those, you know, sheep trying to be shepherds. Um, I, you know, I want them to be sheep. I need them to be sheep. They have a place. I have a place. Um, I feel like this is a conversation that the church has had periodically at particular points in history. I'm thinking about the Reformation, and I'm thinking about the priesthood of all believers, and what I feel like you are, you know, the the thing that you're pointing to again is this is a calling for everyone. The gospel is everyone's job. Yeah, the, the problem is that in the Reformation— the the sort of establishment or reestablishment of the priesthood of all believers they only they only took it halfway <laughs> they only reformed our theology on it and so basically not our practice yeah well our they reformed our how we have access to god we don't need to go through a priest we can actually we can actually um you know have a, a direct relationship with god what never got reformed was who who what what these priests are supposed to do and uh, they kind of left us with okay we can pray but um we don't have a we don't have a priesthood assignment that we see in the new testament that never really got built out and so we we kept the forms of you know the pastor um doing the ministry and the people being the ministry projects and um and and really lost the heart of of the movement that Jesus set up in the first place yeah i think that uh when i when i think about the reformation and what was accomplished in terms of the priesthood of all believers i do think there's a vision that's cast there's a there's a language there that we can um look back to but then you're exactly right there there was still um, a clear distinction between those who were going to be doing the ministry, who were going to be set apart for the doing of the ministry, um, who were going to be particularly educated for the doing of the ministry, and then everybody else was going to um, submit, sit, soak, um, pray, and then financially support. Like, those became sort of the well, these are your jobs. Um, right, and right. that's, that's um, well, first of all, it, hasn't, it has not uh, utilized the gifts, talents, abilities, and calling of half of the body of Christ um, in, in many places and spaces because women haven't been allowed to serve in those roles. So we're not going to get in fully to that debate today, but it feels like that conversation is a part of this, particularly when we look at uh, like Acts 18, where, you know, clearly we've got Priscilla as you know, a part of that conversation. Um, so are there some scripture passages that you would point us to in this conversation about professionalism? Oh, <laughs> I mean, in the book, I list a, a, a whole swath of them under each one of them. And my motivation for, um, 
get to, actually why I wrote this book and how I wrote this book, it, it gets at to the heart of of this one particular idea of professionalism because I, 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 the, you probably know her when, as you read Carmen, I, I had sort of two uh, frames in mind. I had um, Patrick Lencioni. He, he, he writes leadership fables and, and he takes a, a, you know, an, a leadership idea and writes a fable about it and then kind of breaks it out at the end. Here's, here's what you, you should learn about this. And, uh, but what I was trying to get across was larger than one leadership principle. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, and so I knew I couldn't do it like a little fable. So I actually took a Patrick Lencioni idea and married it with a John Grisham idea. <laughs> and so I, John Grisham, when he writes, he writes three, usually two or three, <clears throat> excuse me, stories that all come together, uh, unexpectedly. And, uh, and so that's, that's, that's how I wrote this book. And um, because the audience that I wanted to read it was both. I wanted pastors to understand that there is actually, you know, a missiological and theological underpinning here, that this is not just, you know, a a ranting of a, you know, somebody. This is actually, there's actually a grounded scriptural uh, precedent in what everything we're talking about. But then I wanted just regular everyday people to read it and feel it and see the difference. If it became just a trade book or a theological book, it, you know, the audience has become so limited. And so this is where everyday believers can actually read it and go, I can see how I can fit into this idea. And um, and so the scripture, as you, you know, Luke 19, I, I've, I've written, you know, there's just so much about the body, especially Paul's speaking about the body of Christ and the body of Christ we equate to what we do Sunday morning in our worship hour <laughs> and this is not the picture that Paul had when he wrote the, you know, much of what we have in the New Testament, and it certainly isn't what Jesus sent his disciples to go out and produce worship services. Um, it was the body of Christ is such a bigger, bigger idea, and includes so many more people. We're uh, we're talking with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See. We've got audio copies of it to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, when you think about the priesthood of all believers, when you think about yourself as a person called by God and sent by God into the Great Commission to co-labor with Christ in the mission that he is seeking to accomplish in the world through the vehicle that we call the church— What's your word association when you hear the word church? Um, And what's your word association or your picture um, uh, when you think about who is doing that ministry, who is accomplishing that great commission? Do you see the gospel as every disciple's calling? Your calling, my calling. How are you responding to that? We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians— Reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. 
people need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. We're continuing our conversation with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See. Um, It deals with temptations that we face in the Western church that are not faced in uh, the church in the rest of the world. I think sometimes we imagine that our experience of church is the experience of church by everyone everywhere in all of time, but it's not. Um, and it, it, this is an opportunity for us to explore and reclaim and then live into the calling of, um, of the church that Christ has called us to be as his body um, with different parts and different gifts, but everybody united in one calling to advance the gospel always and in all ways in this generation. And so how do we do that? Well, first we have to start seeing ourselves the right way. Um, and that's part of, uh, of, of what happens uh, as you get into this conversation. So today we're talking about professionalism. It's temptation number two. Um, do you think about ministry as something that some group of gifted pastoral people do um, or as something that is everyone's calling, every disciple's calling? So, Jeff, when uh, when you think about the way that the talents are described in the parable of the talents and the responsibility for those, or when you think about hmm. the parts of uh, the body and the gifts that are given and the way that the Apostle Paul describes that as, uh, you know, as this very diverse and yet very unified um, experience, that's not the way uh, most of us experience uh, church today in in the West, um, and so people feel disconnected. And yeah. if you feel disconnected, even though you know you have a talent or you know you have a gift and you know you have a calling, um, if the way things are organized does not provide an entry point for you to share that, then you are a very unhappy member of the body. Yeah, you have nothing left to do but but you know criticize perhaps or <laughs> compare one to another and um, yeah, there's not really a, a spot for us and um, you know one of the things you know, my my ideas I think were on this were informed in two ways. One, obviously through scripture. I think this is not a hard one to prove in scripture. I mean, our our idea our idea of church being a you know, what time is church or where's your church? Or, you know, we're always speaking about Sunday morning <laughs> and, uh, and the thing that, uh, that we do, but the, um, I, I got to experience something in Iraq during, during the second Gulf war. I'm in a church in Baghdad. Um, it's in the midst of, you know, you know, you can imagine the oppression and persecution and yet it is winning its neighbors and um and this church was busting at the seams it had three floors um the the main floor was where they they held services the top floor was a bunch of windowless catacombs almost where um converted people from islam to to jesus 
were um were actually living and staying and then the bottom floor was a training center where they were training their church church leaders for um for multiplication and uh and this was just like moving it was an un- incredible thing to see and and that was kind of one of the first images i had of 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 something like this in the global church and then just before covid i went to thessaloniki greece to speak to church planting movements from 85 different countries. Um, most of those countries were in areas where there were extreme persecution. And, uh, and the same phenomena was going on. Um, they, were, they were seeing the gospel advance in their country at an incredible pace. And, uh, and, and the thing that their, their people were concentrating on were, were two, um, prayer <laughs> and, um, and equipping disciple making um and those two those two dyads were were the things that were moving the church the church forward in in those 85 different countries and so um we see we see witness to this around the world and then we it doesn't take a, a road scholar to look in, in the new testament and see what was what was jesus setting up here when he sent his disciples, and then as Paul picked it up, and we see in the in the epistles what was happening, and uh, we don't see anything that looks even remotely to our passive, sedentary. You look, you listen, we we teach and uh, repeat next week, rinse and repeat. Uh, we see we see a setup for a movement, and I believe the movement of of, of what Christ has for us is not optional; it's a mandate. It's the, it's it's implicit in the Great Commission. And um, and it's something that has been assigned to every church, and so I I, I was spoke at a chapel at a seminary a while back, and and the, it was the I, I I explained how expensive it was to educate each one of these students and where the money came from from all different sources, and I said, and if you think that you're going to graduate from this institution. And go and do ministry as a lifestyle. Um, you've, you've. This has been an incredible waste of kingdom dollars to educate you, because your job is not to do ministry. Your job is to equip believers to do ministry. It's always about multiplication. And their response and reaction. Some of them uh, was probably surprised because they really are, uh, you know, are being trained in many cases to be. Maybe counselors, maybe chaplains to um, a group of people who are already identified in a location um, as, you know, sheep who need a shepherd. And that's actually not what you're talking about and not what the vision is for um, the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, You use the word insurgency, and I think that um, that word has a lot of, um, that word has a lot of heft. And so when you use that term, what do you mean by it? What, what does it mean for Jesus to have initiated a disciple making insurgency? And, um, and why, why is that kind of language important, um, for us to understand? It's a great question. So when when you, when you see, you know, when let's use Iraq again, as an example of, of, 
um, there was an insurgency there that was battling uh, their opponent, and they were um, they were living in. They were looked like they they weren't dressed up as soldiers. They were dressed. They weren't dressed up. You know, they were they were just sort of in there. And that's kind of I think how how the the Church of Jesus Christ is be. We're not. The, it's not like we wear professional collars and we <laughs> we have our own special uniform, but but we are actually deployed. Um, I think we see a little bit of this in um, what happened in COVID in the fact that we weren't an insurgency. Uh, we talk about the church gathered and the church scattered, and we understand the church gathered, but when the church was um, scattered, we had we 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 didn't know what to do, and we were wringing our hands and we go we can't be the church anymore and um because because we didn't have we didn't have a trained insurgency out there we didn't have any way that we can see in Romans 16 where Paul says um greet so and so and greet so and so greet so so these people were scattered everywhere and um and they were picking up where they left off and continuing the mission of Christ and uh and so i think that that picture of an insurgency if i'm a, if i'm part of the body of Christ i am effective wherever I am, not just when I gather on a, in a church pew to worship the risen Savior, but the rest of the week where I'm, I'm deployed. And, uh, and so I think that's a great picture. Jeff, if people um, are interested in connecting with uh, maybe a, a group of people who understands this and might be living like this in a particular place, um, are those connections being made by somebody out there? I don't know if, there, if there's a you know a, a universal way that I could point to. Um, I see you know just being really transparent. I see a growing frustration amongst a lot of younger leaders, younger mm-hmm. pastors, and and they're moving towards like okay, we got to think differently here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's not it's not universally, but if if you're looking in your city and you find uh, some some people that are um, trying to plant new churches because they're having a hard time with the old wine skin, it does not not seem to want to move. Um, mm-hmm. Not every church plant, in fact, I'd say it'd be a minority, but there there is a growing. <laughs> Uh, restlessness, even amongst those who are planning churches, to think about this entirely differently, and um, and and I would I would say look and don't just go to the people that say the the buzzwords because the ideas that I'm talking about are growing in kind of popularity. People go yeah yeah, yeah. but it's actually there's an incredible price to pay to live like this, yeah. and um, because you are countercultural, um, the evangelical subculture. To, to live yeah. like this, no, it's and a, lead like this. It's yeah. uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a different way of being the church. Jeff, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to the next conversation, which will be on um, presentationalism. See, I'm going to work on the words. Um, today, we were talking about professionalism, and we'd love to continue the conversation in the future. Jeff Christofferson, um, you can connect um, with him. Um, on Twitter or at the Church Multiplication Institute. The book is Once You See. We're giving away audio copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. 
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.